All right, everybody, let's get into the breakdown for this week. UFC Vegas 75, Vittori versus Cannoneer, live from the UFC Apex on this Saturday, June 17th at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. In the main event, you have a middleweight contender bout with about between two fighters who are pretty much looking to get another crack at the middleweight championship, even though I think they'd need a couple more wins under their belt. And the number three ranked volume striker and standout wrestler in Marvin, the Italian dream Vittori, going up against the number four ranked power striker in former heavyweight and light heavyweight, finally down at middleweight, but able to showcase heavyweight power in the killer gorilla Jared Cannoneer. Number three versus number four, trying to take their next step towards a middleweight championship bout. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, UFC Vegas 75. Vittori versus Cannoneer. Um, I'm not super excited about the main event, but I think that a lot of people are going to say the same thing. I don't really see a lot of people clamoring to see fighters who are always in the main event, it seems. They're always in that fight night main event. They're always like in the main, main card of a pay-per-view. And I think if this fight was a three-rounder, it would be a lot more intriguing. But I think since it's a five-rounder, there's not going to be too much excitement surrounding it because we know the type of fight that we're going to get between Vittori and Cannoneer. And we'll obviously talk about that when we get to the main event, but we are going to be going throughout the entire card, breaking down every single fight on the card. Um, obviously, when we do this, it's not going to be the most in-depth breakdown of each fight, but I am going to give you the best analysis that I can, and we will be breaking down four fights on this card. So we're going to kick it off in the light heavyweight division. First fight on the card between Zach Pauga and the returning Modestus Bukowskis. Bukowskis came back in on short notice in his UFC return and was able to defeat Tyson Pedro via pretty clear cut unanimous decision. Was able to out volume him, out strike him, use the striking transitions into the grappling, the clinch work, the takedowns. And he looked the most active that we've seen in his UFC career, or at least before he stepped away from the UFC, and I believe went over to Cage Warriors. Going up against Zach Pauga, who's on the Ultimate Fighter, he was pretty much expected to run through Muhammad Usman in the finale of that Ultimate Fighter season, and he got caught with a big hook, a one-shot, a one-hitter-quitter knockout punch. And, you know, you look at Muhammad Usman, and he's not the most exciting fighter. He's not the most technical fighter. He's just got a lot of power, and Pauga is probably better off at light heavyweight than he would be at heavyweight because he was pretty heavy and like like a little bit mushy in the heavyweight division. But he is a good technical striker. He has good boxing, good combinations. I feel like he'll have speed and power to hurt Modestus Bukowskis, who we've seen get hurt in his previous fights. But overall, I just think the better fighter is going to be Modestus Bukowskis. I think that his overall volume striking, his ability to mix up his punching and kicking game, tie up his opponent in the clinch, push him up against the fence. You know, in Zach Pauga's last fight against Jordan Wright. I expected that fight to go under one and a half rounds, under two and a half rounds. And I think the line for under two and a half was like minus 400 or something like that. Like, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but it was juiced expected to end inside the distance because Jordan Wright is either going to catch you early with a big high kick or big punch and knock you out, or he's going to tire out and eventually you're going to catch him and knock him out or take him down and be able to submit him. And in that fight, it was a lot of clinch work, pushing the opponent up against the cage, holding in the over-under position, elbows, punches, knees in the clinch, knees to the thigh, and really not a lot of striking and engagement from outside of clinch range. 
And it was a very, very boring fight. I think this fight is going to be boring as well, but I expect the fighter who's going to bring more fight to be Modestus Bukowskis. But we have seen him get caught. We have seen him get finished. We've seen him get cracked on the chin. I think Pauga does have the power to catch Bukowskis with his superior boxing. But I think the overall mixed martial arts game, the the kickboxing, the boxing, the the clinch wrestling, the jiu-jitsu, the overall work in the clinch and up against the cage with the takedowns and the more activity that we've seen from Bukowskis or, you know, in his return to the UFC. I'm going to have to side with Bukowskis. He has more experience in the UFC, more experience in MMA overall. He's fought the better competition than Zach Pauga. And after Pauga's performance against Jordan Wright, maybe I'm writing him off too early, but I don't see an area where he beats Modestus unless he catches him on the chin early in round one and is able to knock him out, which I think is a possibility. But I would say I would line this fight about about 65-35, 70-30 with Modestus Bukowskis as the favorite. So give me Modestus Bukowskis to defeat Zach Pauga. I'm going to go with a submission. I think he's going to use his grappling, eventually get the top position, and be able to submit him late in the fight. Give me a second round, or you know what, I'm going to switch it up. Give me a third round submission for Modestus Bukowskis. I think leaning in terms of betting, you might want to side with Bukowskis by decision because he will out-volume Pauga. He will throw more shots, and I think he'll be the overall more active fighter. But I'm going to go with Modestus Bukowskis. But I think in terms of betting, I wouldn't bet this fight at all. But yeah, the pick is going to be Modestus Bukowskis by third-round submission. All right, up next is going to be a bantamweight bout between a guy from my neck of the woods and Dan Argueta going up against Ronnie Lawrence. Look, I think this fight is a lot closer than what people think. I see a lot of people, you know, doubting Dan Argueta in this spot, thinking that Lawrence is going to be so much better on the feet. He has so much better. He has much better striking. His boxing is a lot cleaner. He has a better kicking game, and he has more scrambling ability in the wrestling. I think if you go back and you look at Ronnie Lawrence's last fight against Saidikub Kakramanov, he was getting taken down a lot. Yes, he's able to use that wizard on the, the overhook and be able to work his way back up to the feet. Even if you do take him down, he doesn't tend to settle for position. And I think that scrambling is going to give Argueta some trouble and it might tire him out in the second and the third round, kind of like the fight against Damon Jackson in Dan Argueta's UFC debut. But you look at the Nick Aguirre fight, that was some, he was able to settle for position and control from the top against Aguirre. And I'm not comparing Aguirre to a Ronnie Lawrence. Um, I think Ronnie Lawrence is a much better fighter than Nick Aguirre. I think this is the toughest fight that Dan Argueta has had in his entire mixed martial arts career, but he didn't fight any slouches really in his LFA career. I feel like he had decent competition. And overall, I just see him as the much better wrestler. I think Lawrence is the better striker. I expect Lawrence to dictate the pace of this fight if it does stay on the feet. But even in the Damon Jackson fight where Argueta lost via decision, he was landing some big shots on Damon Jackson. He landed some good shots against Nick Aguirre on the feet. But obviously, the main weapon of Argueta is going to be pressure pushing Ronnie Lawrence up against the cage and working for takedowns. Now, the big difference I hear in a lot of people breaking this fight down is that the, the type of wrestling that Argueta uses and the type of wrestling and takedowns that Saidikub Kakramanov used are different. And you're completely right because Saidikub Kakramanov is more of a judo-based takedown artist. He likes to use a lot of hip tosses, a lot of trips, a lot of inside and outside trips. He likes to play with your feet, hip tosses, and things like that. And that is going to be a lot harder for Lawrence to defend because they're coming from different angles. And the traditional, you know, double legs, single legs, head on the inside singles, working up from your back with a head on the inside single. 
to work your way back up to the feet, go to the clinch, go to the over-unders, work for trips inside the clinch. It is going to be easier for Lawrence to see the takedown attempts of Argueta, but I do think that the wrestling of Dan Argueta is going to give Ronnie Lawrence trouble the longer the fight plays out. And I do think that the cardio advantage in the third round would probably go to Ronnie Lawrence, but we've seen if you're able to take him down over and over and over again, he will slow down. He doesn't settle for position easy. Like, this is not an easy fight for Argueta. And on the feet, I think it's a very tough fight against Ronnie Lawrence because I think Lawrence has more power, he has more volume, and he's better technically on the feet with his punching. I think the kicking game, you might want to side with Dan Argueta. I feel like he might have better low kicks and he might be able to use that to close the distance and transition into his takedowns. But at the end of the day, I think that this fight is kind of a dog or pass spot. I, I don't favor Ronnie Lawrence as much as I see other people favoring him. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think Argueta will be able to use that wrestling. I think he will be able to push Ronnie Lawrence up against the cage. And although I think it's going to be hard early, I think the longer the fight goes, we've seen Argueta has good cardio. I mean, even in the Damon Jackson fight, he was pushing the pace, working his way back up, landed some big shots in the late in the last round. And I think that Argueta can get this one done, man. I think his wrestling, his takedowns, his top pressure, I think he can land good ground and pound. And I think the biggest difference here is going to be his ability to control the top position. I think using, you know, the the triangle leg mount, using the half guard position to control, getting the over-unders when you're in that half guard to control the the back and the arm of the one of your opponent, being able to get your hips down low and not give the opponent any space. I think he's going to be able to control with the takedowns and eventually be able to slow down Ronnie Lawrence. I would worry towards the midpoint of that second round and into the third round that if he's not able to get those takedowns, Lawrence might be able to slow him down and land the bigger shots on the feet. I think that there is a finish in this fight. It would more come from Ronnie Lawrence being able to land big shots against Dan Argueta and potentially hurt him getting him out of there or rock him on the feet and lock him in a sub. But I'm going to side with Argueta's wrestling. I'm going to side with his jiu-jitsu. I'm going to side with his overall control from the top position against Ronnie Lawrence, who no isn't easy to take down. But I think Argueta has a path to victory. And I think when you clearly see that path, I think you have to go with that path. So I'm going to go with Dan Argueta or Dan the Determined Argueta to get another win in the UFC after that win against Nick Aguirre and get it done via a unanimous decision. So give me the underdog at, I think, plus 150, plus 160, somewhere around there, plus 155, and Dan, the determined Argueta to defeat Ronnie Lawrence via 29-28 unanimous decision. I think the wrestling, the top control, and the grappling of Argueta is going to be able to slow down Lawrence later in the fight. All right, up next, a women's flyweight bout between Teresa Bleda and Gabriela Fernandez, or Gabriela Fernandez. Listen, this is women's MMA, man. I said the same thing with the Jasmine Jazdavicius fight against Miranda Maverick. Like, Miranda Maverick should win, but you never know. It's women's MMA. Sometimes these huge favorites come in, and they shit the bed. And I think that's kind of what we're looking at here with Teresa Bleda and Gabriela Fernandez, because Fernandez is a hefty underdog. I think she's plus 230. I'm going to pull it up right now. Maybe the line changed in the last couple days, but let's see. Uh, Gabriela Fernandez, um, plus 205, minus 245 for Teresa Blada. So basically two and a half, three to one favorite for Blada. And I understand why, because yeah, she had that fight 
against Natalia Silva, where she was able to control her, able to out-wrestle her, able to get those takedowns control up against the fence. And we've seen issues with that from Gabriela Fernandez. Gabriela Fernandez has gotten pushed up against the cage. She has gotten taken down. She has gotten controlled from the top position. But on the feet, I really favor favor Gabriela Fernandez. I think she has the much, much better kicking arsenal. I think she's much more comfortable on the feet. And if she's able to stop the takedowns, which we've seen in her UFC career, she's not the best at stuffing takedowns, especially you know against her opponent. In Natalia Silva, but if you look at her grappling, she's got a 50% takedown defense. But on the side of Teresa Bleda, she's only got a 25% takedown accuracy right now. She will shoot multiple takedowns, so you can't take that into consideration fully. But I think if the fight stays on the feet, I think Fernandez's kicking ability, her one-twos down the center, her snappy punches paired with her overactive kicking game, I think she can give Teresa Bleda a lot of trouble. I could see her catching Teresa Bleda with a high kick. I could see her, you know, butchering her inside and outside low kicks and then being able to slow her down, stopping her from being able to close the distance. She lands 1.73 significant strikes per minute, does Gabriela Fernandez to 2.57 for Blada. So Blada is overall more active, but I think the more technical fighter on the feet is going to be Gabriela Fernandez. And I think overall, like, yes, you see the clear path to victory with Blada. And I just said in the Argueta and Lawrence fight that when you have that clear path to victory, sometimes you have to go with it. That doesn't work in women's MMA unless you're the top of the top level. And you never know when somebody's going to show up and somebody's not going to show up. And I think that Gabriela Fernandez can piece up Teresa Blada on the feet. And I think even if Blada does get those takedowns, unless she's able to establish, you know, two minutes of control time or lock up a submission, I think the activity on the feet, the strikes that Gabriela Fernandez is going to be able to land. I mean, Teresa Blada absorbs two strikes per minute, over two strikes a minute. And she lands three strikes a minute. So it's almost like She's landing three, but she's taken almost the same amount as she walks in. You know, she is hittable. She doesn't have the best defense. 44% striking defense to a 55% striking defense for Gabriela Fernandez. And although I think the path to victory is clear for Blada with using the takedowns, getting in the clinch entries, working up against the cage, controlling Fernandez, working from the top position off the trip takedowns, and controlling the fight, I think Gabriela Fernandez is better on the feet. Uh, we've seen Blada has gotten caught. She got caught with a big spinning back kick to the face, I believe. That was against Natalia Silva. I think Fernandez can catch her with a big kick and hurt her, but I think on the feet, Gabriela Fernandez is going to outstrike her for the majority of the fight. And yes, she will get taken down, but I think she will work her way back up to the feet. And although it's not the most popular pick, I'm going to go with the underdog in Gabriela Fernandez to be able to defeat Teresa Blada via decision at plus 205. So give me the plus 205 dog in Gabriela Fernandez. I just don't think this line is correct. I think that Blada should be the favorite, but not almost a three to one. And at these odds, I think you got to take a stab at Gabriela Fernandez. I wouldn't play the finish. I wouldn't play the unders. But I do like Fernandez to win this fight by decision. So give me Gabriela Fernandez to defeat Teresa Bleda via 29-28 unanimous decision. All right, let's keep it moving. Keep it moving. Up next, we've got a flyweight bout between Zalgas Zumagulov, the man who should have a lot of decision victories but just doesn't get them because he makes the fight so close. Going up against the UFC newcomer in Felipe Buenes or Buenes. Look, I don't know much about the UFC newcomer in Felipe Buenes, but I did watch some of his highlights. And the one thing I'll tell you is that I believe he has 
more finishing upside in this fight than Zalgasu Magulov. I think he has much more power, and I do think he's a better overall technical boxer on the feet. Now, who's the better wrestler in this fight? I think it would be Zalgasu Magulov. He's going to be the better wrestler. He's going to have the better takedowns. I think if he can push Buenes up against the cage or Buenes, yeah, Buenes up against the cage, work his takedowns, work from the top position, that yes, he can win this fight. I don't think that's anything that we're going to be disagreeing with each other on. The overall better competition, Zumagulov. The better overall game, I think, is Zumagulov. But Buenes has technical striking. He has good, sharp low kicks, good one-twos. We've seen him catch his opponents with left hooks as he's stepping back, dropping his opponent and winning a title in, uh, I believe it was in the LFA. He landed a good check hook, dropped the opponent, landed right over the ear, and was able to finish his opponent in the first round. I think that... Felipe Buenes can give Zalgasu Magulov some trouble in this fight on the feet. I can definitely see him catching Zumagulov with a shot and hurting him. We have seen Zumagulov get hurt in his career. He got rocked at certain points by Charles Johnson. He got finished by Manel Kopp. Yes, Manel Kopp is one of the best in the division, but you do have to, you know, take that into consideration. But at the same time, I think... Buenes is live if this fight stays on the feet. I think he has better technical striking than Zumagulov. And I think the biggest difference in this fight is that he's more active with his striking combinations. And Zolgas isn't a guy who's going to overall resort to the wrestling too much. He likes to play that point fighting type of style. He likes to play a touch and go. He likes to play, I like the name of this podcast, he likes to play a touch him up style of game where he's going to touch, 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 move around, land some kicks, use good lateral movement, good angles, and try to outpoint you, then use some takedowns and wrestling to be able to overall, you know, win the fight on the scorecard. But the scorecards don't go in his direction because he's not the most active fighter. And I'm not going to take a less active fighter who constantly loses these questionable decisions. Like, I think it's a case of when are you guys going to learn that maybe Zuma Gulov isn't as good as you thought. Yeah, he might get robbed on decisions. Yeah, you might think he got robbed. I bet Charles Johnson against Zuma Gulov. I bet Jeff Molina against Zuma Gulov. Like, I, I pick against Zuma Gulov a lot. I bet Manel Kopp by TKO. I feel like I have a pretty good read on Zolga Zuma Gulov, you know, overall in his mixed martial arts career. And this is a guy that I'm just not going to back. Like 14 and 8, yes, maybe he should be like 16 and 6 or 17 and 5, you know, because some of those decisions you feel like should have gone the other way. But at the same time, he's not active enough to really make you think that he's going to win any fight that he's in. I don't think Zuma Gulov is that good. Yes, he's got good technical striking, decent submissions, good wrestling. But even the guy he submitted, his name's escaping me, but the guy he submitted with that standing guillotine early in the fight, he didn't have much success in the UFC after that. So give me the underdog. Give me the much more sharp or the sharper striker and definitely the more dangerous striker on the feet in Felipe Buenes to be able to catch Zuma Gulov and get him out of there. I'm going to go with the underdog again. Give me Felipe Buenes to defeat Zolgas Zuma Gulov by TKO. I could see a decision, but I'm going to take the underdog. I, like I said, from what I've seen, his boxing is crisp and clean. He has a beautiful left hook. I think he can catch Zumagulov on the feet. And even if he doesn't knock him out, I think he can outstrike him. And I don't see Zumagulov really resorting to the wrestling, even though he should. So give me the plus 135 underdog in Felipe Buenes to defeat Zolga Zumagulov by knockout. I'll go uh, I'll go a second round TKO against Zumagulov for the underdog in Buenes. All right, let's move on. Man, we're flying through these. We've got four fights broken down already. We're going to move up to the flyweight bout between Carlos Hernandez and Dennis Bondar. Um, Bondar had a fight in the UFC. You know, it was a fight where 
he was expected to win, and he got finished early by Malcolm Gordon. Now, Malcolm Gordon just got finished by Jake Hadley, and it was basically a walk in the park. And, you know, you're getting dropped by Malcolm Gordon, who's a guy who hasn't had much of any success in the UFC. You have to take that into consideration when looking at, you know, the next fight that he's in. Got dropped by Malcolm Gordon. Yes, he got injured. It was with an overhook, and he broke his arm in the transition in the grappling while Gordon had that overhook. Yeah, you're not wrong there. But at the same time, man, like this is a guy where he's been injured. You know, you have to take that into consideration. And yes, he has the much better grappling. I think he can take down Carlos Hernandez. I think he can control from the top. I think he can land some good ground and pound from the top. I think he can look for submissions. Yes. But if the fight stays on the feet, man, Hernandez is not bad. He fights out of Chicago, Illinois. Um, he won a fight against Victor Altamirano, where I feel like some people were on the Altamirano side, including myself, against Tim Elliott. And would you pick Carlos Hernandez against Tim Elliott? Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's that's up to you to decide. But at the end of the day, man, this Carlos Hernandez is pretty good. He has decent lateral movement, good in-and-out footwork. And I feel like his striking is pretty technical. Good one-twos down the center and a beautiful left hook. He's got a really good counter check left hook, a good left hook moving forward. He can use takedowns in his own right to control the fight and get to the top positions. And against Dennis Bondar, I would give Bondar the the grappling advantage. I think he's better with the takedowns. I think he can control from the top position. He has better ground and pound. But on the feet, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'd side with Bondar on the feet against a guy in Carlos Hernandez who has good striking, good lateral movement, and ability to use his left hook as a check hook. He has counter takedowns. You saw that against Ultimirano. He was able to counter with an inside reap takedown inside the clinch. He's very active on the feet, and he beat Victor Ultimirano by decision. And it was a close fight. I believe it was a split decision, but he won. He's active. He has good striking. And I see a lot of people siding with Bondar, and I think he will have an advantage if he's able to settle in the top position, work from the half guard, work from the full guard, and be able to posture up and land ground and pound. But I'm going to go with an underdog again, man. I don't know what is with me this week, and maybe I'm just completely off. But give me Carlos Hernandez over Dennis Bondar. Like, Bondar, yeah, he's good, but... Losing to Malcolm Gordon, like maybe it was just a, a mishap. It was an injury, but at the same time, like take it with what take for it what you will. Like maybe this is showing you that you shouldn't side with this guy, and maybe I'm completely off. And I don't know about betting from either side because I think Bondar. I think it's pretty close on the money line. Uh, let me see. Carlos Hernandez is plus one ten. Yeah, minus one thirty for Bondar. So. You know, pretty even fight overall. Just basically a pick em, but they have Bondar a little bit heavier of a favorite. I think Bondar should win, but I think that Hernandez is better. He's more active. He has more activity on the feet with his striking. He has good takedown defense and good takedown offense of his own. And his cardio holds up over 15 minutes. Give me the plus 110 underdog in Carlos Hernandez. So I'm going to take Carlos Hernandez to defeat Dennis Bondar via a... 29-28 unanimous decision. I don't see him getting a finish, but I could see him rocking him with that left hook. It's very sharp. Very good left hook on the offense and the defense as a counter. So watch that lead left hand. Watch the left hook. Watch the right hand behind it. But I'm going to take the Chicago native and Carlos Hernandez to defeat Dennis Bondar via 29-28 unanimous decision. All right, up next we have a bantamweight fight between Kyung Ho Kong and Christian Quinones. Um, this is a fight where it's going to be volume, technique, and patience against raw power. And I'm not saying that I don't think Christian Quinones is a technical striker. I do think he is. 
But if you try to play a point fighting style of fight against Hyung Ho Kang, um, you're going to lose because he's going to keep that jab in your face. He's so good at fading back with counters. He's got a very good jab, pull back, come back in with a jab again, jab, pull, jab, jab, pull, right hand, step off to the rear side angle, land the right hand. He's got very good technical ability, and he doesn't throw himself into the fire. He plays a very disciplined game, and you saw that in his unanimous decision victory over Dana Botgarel. He was much more active. He was landing the better counters. That jab was piecing up Botgarel, and I think that Botgarel is a pretty solid fighter. I backed him against... Brady Highstand, and I was wrong. So, you know, maybe my analysis of this fight isn't that great, but I think Kyung Ho Kang, I mean, he's been fighting in MMA since 2007, you know, almost 20 years in the game. Christian Quinones is a veteran in his own right. He's 18 and three as a professional mixed martial artist, 18 and nine on the side of Kyung Ho Kang. But this is a good fight, man. I think that the bigger power is going to be Quinones, obviously. I don't really think that that's something you have to really take into consideration. Like, I don't really think you have to think about that too much is what I'm trying to say, but I'm going to pull this up real quick. Actually, you know what? I can look it up right here. Uh, will it give me the win percentages? So when it comes to finishing up ability, you know, on the side of Quinones, he's got a 73% finish rate on the side of Kyung Ho Kang. He's got a 72% finish rate. So very close, but the more knockout upside is going to come from Christian Quinones. He's got good lateral movement in his own right. Good use of the jab. He's got a very powerful right hook and he doesn't even have to wind up on it. It can be short right hooks as you're stepping in like he caught his UFC opponent in his last fight with. Caught him stepping in, bang, landed that right hook, dropped him and got him out of there in Khalid Taha, who's known as a big, powerful striker and I think was pretty heavily favored in that fight. But Quinones has good lateral movement, good in and out movement, good counters off the back foot. He likes to keep his hands out in front of him and kind of play with your guard, play with your hands, lull you to sleep, and then land some big shots. And that's something I think is definitely possible against Kyung Ho Kong. But I I kind of think that this is a tougher fight than people are are thinking, even though, you know, you got a guy who's 18 and three against a guy who's 18 and nine or 19 and eight. What, what is it? 18 and nine in Kyung Ho Kong. I think Kyung Ho Kong uh, has an opportunity to win this fight. He's just going to have to watch out for the power of Quinones. If Quinones can't land his power and put away Kyung Ho Kong, I don't think he wins a decision. I think if this goes to decision, it's going to be Kyung Ho Kong using that powerful, sharp, piston-like jab, keeping it in the face of Quinones, fading off on angles, jab, lead hook, jab, jab, doubling it up, tripling it up, landing the right hand, and getting outside the range of the good counters and the power of Quinones. If it goes to decision, I would definitely side with Kyung Ho Kong, but if he's able to get into that close range, if it stays in boxing range or clinch range, I think that Quinones can land that power and can hurt Kyung Ho Kong and get him out of there. So this is a fight where I wouldn't recommend betting either side this is a fight where I do think it's a pick em, but I think the sharper fighter and the more well-rounded fighter overall is Kyung Ho Kong. You know, I, I think that that performance against the Nabot Gorilla UFC 275 was a big eye-opener. He's a veteran. He's fought for many, many years. Even though their records are pretty close and Christian Quinones has a much better record, you have to take that experience into consideration where, yeah, maybe he's got a better record, but Quinones hasn't fought in over a year. I believe it's over a year or just under a year. Kyung Ho Kong, I feel like, has fought overall better competition. He's been fighting longer in MMA, I believe. I could be wrong, but, I mean, just fighting since 2007. I mean, the guy's been in the game for very, very long. You look at the odds on the fight, and you've got 
uh, where is it? Kyung Ho Kang plus 135, Christian Quinones minus 155. I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's a fair line because of the power of Quinones where he can set you up, put you out, you know, and get you out of there. Um, let's look at the finish upside of Kyung Ho Kang. I want to see how many times he's been finished in his UFC career or just in his career overall. Let's see. He's been finished seven. Oh, two times only. Uh, one by knockout TKO, one by submission. He's lost six decisions. Mr. Perfect Kyung Ho Kong. He's got that win over Dinabat Regal. He lost a unanimous decision to Hani Yaya, but that was a really grappling-heavy style of game. Um, I don't think Quinones is going to be looking to do that. He's going to be looking to strike, and that is in the wheelhouse of Kyung Ho Kong. He lost. The, he won a split decision against Ping Liang Lu. Uh, won a split decision against Brandon Davis, which I don't think looks the best because I don't think Davis had the best record in MMA. Let's see. We'll pull it up. Fourteen and eleven. Yeah, not the best. Um, lost a bunch of fights in a row. Lost three fights in a row to Dinabat Grell. Leo Mana Martinez via split decision, and then Joshua Weems via decision. Um, I think this is close. I think this is tough, and I wouldn't really fault you from fading either side. If you're going to side with the power of Quinones, then I think you have a right to. If you're going to side with the overall more technical boxing, the better counter ability, and the better defense, then you would side with Kyung Ho Khan and Mr. Perfect. Um, I think that that's a good side to side with as well. I kind of line this as a 50-50 fight. It's going to be do you favor power or technique overall. Even though the technique of Quinones is very good, um, I think the more technical and sharper fighter overall is going to be Kyung Ho Kong. Um, and based off that, like, ah, I don't know, man, because Kyung Ho Khan hasn't been finished much. I mean, only been finished twice, but he's lost six decisions, won five decisions, 11 wins by submission. I'm going to go with Kyung Ho Kong. I'm going to go with Mr. Perfect. I think this is a close fight. I think that this is a fight where I wouldn't bet either side, which is something I already touched on. But I am going to go with Mr. Perfect and Kyung Ho Kong to be able to keep Quinones at the end of that jab, be able to keep him at his range and pick him apart, use his good lateral movement, use his good striking defense and good counter ability to outstrike Quinones, avoiding the power for 15 minutes. I could see him potentially piecing him up and getting a finish late in the fight. Um, I could see him getting a submission, even though I think this is mainly going to play out on the feet for the most part. But it might be smart for Kyung Ho Khan to use his grappling and takedowns. But I'm going to go with the underdog in Mr. Perfect Kyung Ho Kong to defeat Christian Quinones via a 29-28 split decision. I think it's going to be close. I think Quinones will have his his moments. He might hurt him a few times in the fight, which can sway around in there. but Or swing around in there. But at the end of the day, based off the fact that Kyung Ho Kong has only been finished twice... I'm going to go with Kyung Ho Khan. I'm going to go with Mr. Perfect to play on the outside, use his lateral movement, stick that jab in the face of Quinones, and keep him at a distance. So give me Kyung Ho Kong to defeat Christian Quinones via 29-28 split decision. Man, this is crazy. Like, based off the odds so far, I've gone with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, I've gone with five underdogs out of six fights. I could see this being a dog city type of 
type of fight, man. I could really see it being Dog City and a lot of underdogs cashing. All right, up next we move to the fight in the flyweight division and a pretty interesting one between Jimmy the Brick Flick and Alessandro Costa. Flick comes into the fight, 16 wins, 6 losses. On the side of Alessandro Costa, you have 12 victories, 3 defeats. His last loss coming via TKO to Amir Elbazi, who just won the UFC Fight Night main event at UFC Vegas 74 against Kai Car France. Even though I thought he lost that fight by decision and I thought it was pretty clear um, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. He still lost that fight. So you can't really do anything about that. But when it comes to this fight, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Jimmy Flick is submission or bust. Like his striking isn't awful, but he's not going to be able to stand up with Alessandro Costa. Costa is a much better overall kickboxer. He has much more power. And if you're getting finished by Charles Johnson, who historically doesn't have the best power, at least in the UFC, um, once Jimmy Flick starts to get hit, the brick starts to fall apart. And I think that if Alessandro Costa catches him with a big body kick, catches him with a big right hand, catches him with a big left hook, a big uppercut, I think he's going to hurt Jimmy Flick and then make him panic wrestle. And I think that's just going to open up this fight for Costa. Like on the ground, Flick is live. He can even jump for flying triangles on the feet like he did against Cody Durden. Like he is a heavy submission threat. And if this fight ends by submission, I think that that does come from the side of Jimmy the Brick Flick. But he retired from MMA. He comes back and fights Charles Johnson, loses that fight. Um, I just can't side with a guy in Flick. I think that this is an Alessandro Costa fight all day. And I know you have the submission upside where, yes, Flick can land a submission. Yes, if he plays on the ground with Costa for – or if Costa plays in his guard for too long, then, yeah, Flick can get, catch him in a submission, catch him in a triangle, catch him in an arm bar or something like that and submit him. But Alessandro Costa is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt in his own right. So you have to take that into consideration as well when breaking down the fight. And I just think Alessandro Costa is so much better on the feet. And I think he has good enough striking – or I'm sorry, good enough takedown defense to be able to stifle the jiu-jitsu of Jimmy Flick. I don't think he's going to really get into scrambles. I think he's going to stay at his striking range, land big shots on the feet, good jab, good left hook, good right uppercut. Good overhands, good one-twos down the center, a good straight right hand left hook. I think he's going to be able to catch Jimmy Flick stepping in with a big shot and eventually hurt Jimmy Flick and get him out of there. Flick's not a guy who likes to stay in the fight. If you hurt him, if you really hurt him bad, he kind of looks for a way out or he'll jump on a panic wrestle, jump on a takedown and eventually allow you to TKO him. And I think that's kind of what I see here. I don't see him being able to out-wrestle Costa, if Costa catches him on the feet with a big shot and hurts him, and I think that's what we have here. Like, yes, if, if Costa plays in the guard of Jimmy Flick, he can get submitted, he can get armbarred, he can get triangled, you know, yeah, obviously, but I think Costa's smart enough to not play that game. 12-2 uh, and two overall as a professional mixed martial artist, or 12-3 and three as a professional mixed martial artist, nine of those wins come by way of finish. So nine out of 12 wins by way of finish. I think he's got the power and the technique to really just whitewash Jimmy Flick on the feet. And I think that's what we're going to see. Like, I don't see a lot of wrestling playing in. I think Costa's good enough defensively to stop the takedown entries of Jimmy Flick. I think he's going to stop a few of them. It's going to get Jimmy Flick to panic. Flick's going to start to strike it out with Costa. Costa's going to catch him with a big left hook, catch him with that right uppercut, land the boxing combinations, land some kicks to the body, and get Jimmy Flick out of there. So give me Alessandro Costa to defeat Jimmy Flick via second round TKO. I think he's just going to hurt Jimmy Flick a lot in this fight. And we've seen Flick break and look for a way out if he's not able to get to his avenue of victory. I'm not calling him a quitter, 
because I don't want to call a fighter a quitter, but you know, you can kind of put two and two together and see how the fights have played out. And the fact that he retired, then came back, I, I just don't think Jimmy Flick's in it all the way. So I think Jimmy Flick's going to get smashed and the brick is going to fall apart. So give me Alessandro Costa to win via second round TKO against Jimmy the Brick Flick. I, I just think Costa's much better and I think he can avoid the avenue that Jimmy Flick is going to be looking for, which is the takedowns and the submission in jiu-jitsu side. So I love Costa in this spot. Alessandro Costa, second round TKO. All right, to wrap up the prelims, we've got a battle in the welterweight division between Nicholas Dalby and Muslim Salikov. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this fight. I thought Warley Elvis was pretty much a lock against Dalby, and Dalby was able to outstrike him, outpoint him, really make you know Warley Elvis look like he had nothing to do with him inside that octagon, tire him out, really start to put the pace on him and the pressure on him and break him. I don't think he's going to be able to break a guy like Solikov. Solikov has good side kicks, good head kicks, good spinning wheel kicks, spinning side kicks to the face, good low kicks, and he's very good inside the clinch in the single collar clinch in the in the um, dirty boxing range with good uppercuts and hooks. You saw that against Fialo. Yes, he can get hurt on the feet. He got knocked out by Li Jingliang, but Nicholas Dalby doesn't have the power of a Li Jingliang. And yes, Nicholas Dalby can technically outpoint him if he wants to, maybe if he resorts to the wrestling pushes him up against the cage and tires out Solikov, but I'm sorry, I, I don't see it. I really don't see it. I think this is Solikov's fight to win. I think Solikov is going to be the much sharper fighter on the feet. He's going to be landing those front kicks to the body, round kicks, low kicks, um, side kicks, looking for wheel kicks to the head, looking for um, lead leg hook kicks. I think he's going to be looking for a wide variety of kicks in this fight. And I picked against him in the fight against uh, Andre Fialiu because I thought Fialiu's boxing was going to be able to close the distance and catch Solikov on the chin and knock him out like we've seen him get knocked out before. But he's not facing a power puncher here in Dolby. Dolby's going to be a more volume striker, putting punches and kicks together, putting you on the back foot, pushing you up against the cage, tiring you out, and being able to break your will. I don't see him breaking the will of Solikov. I think Solikov is better everywhere the fight takes place. I don't think he's going to want to play around with the jujitsu too much, but I think he has good enough takedown defense to stop that avenue from Dolby being able to exploit it. And could I see Dolby winning a technical point fighting style of fight? I could. I could see him out voluming Solikov, but I think the power, the technique, the kicking game, the dirty boxing, and the overall game of Solikov with the takedown defense, I think he's going to be able to kind of walk through Dolby in this fight. But Dolby is durable. Dolby can last in a fight. So I'm going to go with Muslim Solikov to win be a unanimous decision. I think it's going to be close, but I, I could see Dolby sticking in the fight because he is a durable guy and he doesn't get finished very often. But I think Solikov's better everywhere. I think he's got better striking, better kicking, good enough takedown defense to stop Dolby from being able to push him, pressure him, get him up against the cage and make it that dirty, nasty fight that, you know, Nicholas Dolby's going to want to make it. So give me Muslim Solikov to defeat Nicholas Dolby via 29-28 unanimous decision. I think Solikov's a good play here against Dolby in this spot. All right, and now we move to the main card with the main card opener in the bantamweight division between Hione Barcelos and Miles Johns. This is a tricky fight, especially if you're a better. I would say on the betting side to stay away from it because it should be so clear in one person's direction it should be Hani Barcelos all day. It should be Hione Barcelos. This guy, you know, coming up in the UFC, he was compared to a young Jose Aldo with the way that he sh was using his striking, the good fakes and feints, the footwork, the lateral movement, the pivots off his lead foot, the constant angle changes, the straight right hand slip to the outside, pivot off, 
One, twos down the middle. One, two, three, rear uppercut. The jab lead hook, rear uppercut. The feint, the level change into the uppercuts. He's so solid on the feet. He's such a good technical fighter. But sometimes he can have some issues. But he's also a good grappler. We've seen him resort to his wrestling against Trevin Jones. Use the grappling. Take down Trevin Jones. Control from the top. Ground and pound him. Looking like he was going to get a finish. Hurting Trevin Jones on the feet. Good angles with his low kicks, his body kicks. I mean, this guy is a very well-rounded and polished fighter, but lately in his UFC career, he hasn't had the best success. Lost his last fight to Umar Nurmagomedov, got knocked out with a knee up the middle to a little check left hook that dropped Barcelos, knocked him out cold. That was a fight where I definitely expected Nurmagomedov to win, but I did pick the underdog, or I think I picked, I think I picked Nurmagomedov, but I bet on Barcelos because he was like plus 700. I mean, the odds were crazy. And at those odds, I wanted to take a shot on the dog, but I bet on the fight to go over two and a half rounds, not expecting Barcelos to get knocked out. And he got knocked out cold. And, you know, yeah, he took a little bit of time off and it was against one of the best fighters in the division. But at the same time, you have to take that into consideration, which is Barcelos back to normal? Is his chin better? Is he completely recovered? And I think Barcelos is recovered. I think that this is a favorable fight for him. But at the same time, I think you have to look at that knockout. You have to look at can Miles Johns catch Honey Barcelos on the chin. Miles Johns is a good boxer. He has good technical boxing, good power in his punches. I think if he catches Barcelos on the chin and Barcelos isn't back to the best of his ability, he isn't fully recovered, then I do think Miles Johns has a shot in this fight based off the Barcelos that we've seen lately. But... Just going off the technical side, just going off the breakdown of the fight, this should be an easy Barcelos win. Barcelos should be minus 300, minus 400, minus 350, minus 275. Like, he should be in that area because he should be able to be the much faster fighter, the much slicker fighter on the feet, and be able to outpoint and out and pick apart, I should say, Miles Johns. I think he should be able to land the one-two, pivot off, the, the shoot, the straight right hand, pivot off to the lead left side, the jab, cross hook, right low kick, the hook to the right low kick. I think he can use his wrestling as well. I think Miles Johns is probably the better grappler, the better wrestler, but Barcelos has good jiu-jitsu and wrestling in his own right, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, where he should be able to use it both offensively and at the worst case, use it defensively to stop Miles Johns from getting in the over-under clinch, getting in the double-unders, pushing him up against the cage, and looking to use that uh, wrestling-heavy grind style of game plan to tire him out. But at the end of the day, this should be Barcelos's fight without a doubt. He should pick apart Miles Johns. He should be able to finish him later in the fight. But I'm going to go with Barcelos to win by decision. But I would call this fight a no-bet spot. Um, Barcelos is much better. Barcelos is much more technical. He's much faster. He has more weapons on the feet. He has better jujitsu. He might have better wrestling as well. He might be better in every facet of the game. But based off the you know his recent performances, sometimes he makes fights close. You know, and, and he did just get knocked out cold against Umar, even though Umar is one of the best in the division, like we talked about. So I would say Barcelos should be a clear winner. And if you want to bet on him, go ahead. But I would kind of shy away from betting on this fight from the Johns or Barcelo side because we don't know what the chin of Barcelos is going to look like after he just got knocked out by a fighter who's not really known as a knockout artist and more of a grappling upside fighter. So I'm going to take Hione Barcelos via decision. He should cruise here, but I don't love the betting side from the betting perspective of the fight. All right, up next is going to be probably one of the fights of the night in terms of a striking aspect, and I think somebody gets finished here. It's a fight with Manuel Torres going up against Nicholas Mota. Both these guys have phenomenal knockout ability. 
I would say that the sharper striker on the feet is going to be Manuel Torres, but Manuel Torres was supposed to come into his last fight. I forgot who it was against. Let me see. Um, Manuel Torres. Who was he supposed to fight last? Um. Sorry, guys. Let's see. Manuel Torres was supposed to fight. Oh, it's not listed on here. I forgot who it was, but he was supposed to come into a fight. It was a fight where I had him back pretty heavily and he missed weight and he wasn't able to make weight. So you got to take that into consideration going in here. Is his weight management going to be better? Was he coming into that last fight with an illness? Is he fully recovered? You know, things like that. But Manuel Torres against Nicholas Moda, like Nicholas Moda has good power. He's got good overhands, a vicious left hook. I mean, the left hook of Nicholas Moda, I feel like could put out a lot of people, but he did get knocked out by Jim Miller, but we saw what Jim Miller just did to that UFC newcomer, knocking him out in the first round. And Jim Miller's knockout power seemed to show up later in his UFC career. And, you know, Nicholas Moda was on the side of that as well. He got knocked out. So he is there and he does get hit. Manuel Torres is going to be better. I feel like he's just a tad sharper than Nicholas Moda on the feet. Got good straight punches, good left and right hooks. He can switch his stances from orthodox to southpaw, southpaw to orthodox. And he can square up his hips for equal power in either shot so that even if the power right misses you, he'll come back with that power left hook while he squares up his stance and allow that to have equal power and then catch you on the chin, kind of like he did against Frank Camacho. But Frank Camacho was kind of a gimme fight. And even in that fight, he was getting hit with some shots by Frank Camacho. And Frank Camacho should have been a guy that he could have got out of there early, and he did. But he did get hit at certain points. And Nicholas Moda has good power in his left hook, good overhand switch to southpaw, land the left hook. He land, he likes to switch his stance to land his power shots. And I think this is going to be a case of who lands first. If I'm going to break this fight down, I think it's whoever lands first. Who do I think is the sharper striker on the feet? Who do I think is better technically? I think that's El Loco, Manuel Torres. But I also think Nicholas Moda, even though he lunges into his shots, even though he you know throws with big windup and has big power, at the same time, I still think like he has the danger aspect to catch Manuel Torres on the chin and put him out. Manuel Torres has never been knocked out on this side of Nicholas Moda. He so it's 13 and 2 for Manuel Torres, 13 and 4 for Moda. Moda's been knocked out three times out of his four losses. So that is something you have to take into consideration for Iron Nicholas Moda. Um I think that Manuel Torres is just a tad better and sharper on the feet, and I think he'll be a little bit less hittable than Nicholas Moda, but I could just as easily see Moda catching Manuel Torres on the chin and putting him out. I mean, 9 out of 13 wins come by way of knockout for Nicholas Moda. I think he has the opportunity to catch Manuel Torres with that left hook, drop him, and get him out of there. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to side with the sharper fighter, the sharper tie fighter, the better Muay Thai, the better boxing, the better counters, and go with Manuel Torres. So give me El Loco. Manuel Torres to defeat Nicholas Moda via knockout in round one. I think it's going to be a very dangerous fight. I think either fighter is live in round one. And I think when it comes to betting this fight, I like the fight to end by KO or TKO on DraftKings at like a minus 175. It doesn't matter who wins as long as they win by knockout. And I see a knockout from either Moda or Manuel Torres. When you look at the money line odds for this fight, though, You've got, let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. 
Sorry, guys, it's just taking a little bit to load. You've got... Manuel Torres, minus 180. Nicholas Dalby, plus 155. Um, but if you go to the uh, fight props, I think that's where it's under. Or is it, no, winning method. Go to winning method and then go to exact method of victory. You can get either fighter to win by KO, TKO, or DQ at minus 175. I think that's the best fight because I think it's either Moda catching Manuel Torres with a big left hook as he switches stances, dropping him and getting him out of there after he's coming in off that bad weight cut that caused him to withdraw from his last fight, or it's going to be Manuel Torres being the overall more technical fighter and catching Moda as he lunges in and overextends and dropping him. So I think the best bet is the fight to end by knockout TKO or DQ at minus 175, but the pick is going to be Manuel Torres via first round knockout. I think he's just a tad sharper, and I think we'll see that on fight night. All right, up next, we've got a battle in the UFC featherweight division with the return of Pat Sabatini fighting out of the Gracie Philly camp alongside the likes of Sean Brady going up against a somewhat UFC newcomer who's coming off of that knockout victory in the third round over Mike Trezano, where he came in again as a pretty big underdog in the former Contender Series alum in Lucas Almeida. This is probably my favorite fight on the card. Without a doubt. I think Sabatini and Almeida is going to be a phenomenal fight. And here's the deal. If Lucas Almeida gets taken down and Pat Sabatini is able to transition to the half guard, able to transition to side control, able to work from the scarf or the reverse scarf position, get into the mount, take the back, flatten them out, ground and pound, and lock a submission up, it's Pat Sabatini's fight all day. When it comes to the grappling, Pat Sabatini will be able to outgrapple Lucas Almeida. But Almeida's no slouch. Off his back, he has decent takedown defense, good ability to get up. It's just he can't give his back up to Pat Sabatini because I think if you give your back up, even if he doesn't submit you, Sabatini can backpack you, land ground and pound, transition to mount, and overall control you to win the rounds. However, just as Pat Sabatini is going to be the much better grappler, Lucas Almeida will beat the living shit out of Pat Sabatini on the feet. Almeida is far and above the better striker. I mean, look at Pat Sabatini's last fight. He got caught with a front kick by Damon Jackson early in the first round, got dropped, got hurt, got finished in round one in a fight where Pat Sabatini, uh, the money line was close, but in my opinion, I thought Sabatini was going to roll there. I thought Sabatini was easily going to beat Lucas, or um, what Pat Sabatini was easily going to beat Damon Jackson, and he got TKO'd. In his fight against Jamal Emers, he got dropped early in the fight, almost knocked out, but then caught a heel hook and submitted Jamal Emers. Pat Sabatini doesn't have a good chin. He can't take a punch. And he's been rocked in multiple fights. So we have the case studies and the tape study to go back and look at that. So you really have to take that into consideration. But when it comes to breaking down the fight overall, it's going to be can Sabatini keep it on the feet? Can Sabatini, I'm sorry, can Lucas Almeida keep it on the feet? and outstrike Sabatini and probably knock him out? Or will Sabatini be able to use his wrestling, his grappling control from the top position and submit Lucas Almeida? Because that's what it's going to be. It's either submission or decision for Sabatini, or it's a knockout for Almeida. 
And when it comes to breaking down the fight, based off the fact that Almeida isn't a complete novice on the floor, he has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, I believe. He might be a brown belt, but I think he's a black belt. He has decent takedown defense, good ability to work his way back up to the feet, even if he does get taken down. Yes, I know Daniel Zellhuber was able to tire him out, take him down, out-wrestle him later in the fight. And if Zellhuber can do that, then Sabatini can too. But Sabatini and Zellhuber's fights on the feet, excuse me, Striking on the feet, it's night and day. Almeida will knock out Sabatini on the feet early, early if he doesn't get those takedowns. And when you have to rush for those takedowns, I mean, some people could say, "Well, look at Habib. He he didn't he didn't really strike with people, and he was able to take him down." I mean, it's not the same thing, man. It's not the same thing. And you know, coming out of the Gracie Philly camp, we've seen striking durability issues with his training partner as well in Sean Brady, even though I feel like Sean Brady's much more technical on the feet and a much better fighter than Sabatini. And he's much more durable. Like I, at least in my opinion, um, I think Lucas Almeida is going to beat the shit out of Pat Sabatini as a plus 155, plus 160 underdog. I think he comes in, he's got a beautiful left hook. He can land it moving forward. He can land it moving laterally like he did against um, Michael Trezano, where he'll land that right hand and then he'll lunge into his lead side, pivot off, and land that left hook as the opponent's kind of perpendicular to his stance, and he can land it from awkward angles. He's got a good one-two down the middle, good low kicks. He uses a lot of fakes and feints and a lot of footwork, which is going to make Sabatini a little bit hesitant to shoot those takedowns, I believe. Although he uses a lot of low kicks, and, you know, kind of overextends on his right hand sometimes. So maybe Sabatini can time that, get in on the hips, take him down, and then work from the top position to potentially submit Almeida. But at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Lucas Almeida, man. I think that he is going to light up Sabatini on the feet. I think he's going to catch him early in the first round with a big right hand, potentially catch him with a left hook as he steps into range or a rear uppercut. And then he's going to drop Sabatini. He's going to let him up. He's going to hit him again, drop him, and knock him out. So I'm going to take Lucas Almeida as the plus 155, plus 160 underdog to defeat Pat Sabatini via a first-round knockout. I just can't side with Sabatini knowing his durability issues and even seeing those durability issues come through in fights where he ended up winning and finding a submission. I don't think he's going to be able to squeak out a submission here if he's hurt against Almeida. I think Almeida is going to catch him on the feet with that one, two, bang that left hook on his chin, drop him and get him out of there. He also has good flying knees as well. So he might time a takedown attempt of Sabatini with a flying knee and hurt him that way and then jump on him for a TKO with ground and pound. Um, but yeah, I love Lucas Almeida in this spot. I picked against him in the fight against Michael Trezano. Yes, he did get dropped by Trezano, but we're not comparing striking with Sabatini and Trezano. Um, I'm going to side with him again. I, I'm not going to let him prove me wrong twice. So give me Lucas Almeida to defeat Pat Sabatini by first round knockout as a plus 155, plus 160 underdog. All right, up next, we move to a fight in the UFC middleweight division between the former Cage Warriors middleweight champion and a man coming off a UFC debut TKO victory due to injury against Dusko Todorovic and Christian Leroy Duncan, or CLD, going up against a former kickboxing champion, a standout kickboxer in his own right, in Armin Petrosian. This is going to be a striker's delight. And I think that this is a very tough fight to call um, when you do the eye test. When you just look at each fighter, you're like, okay, well, it's going to be a kickboxing fight. The more technical, sharper kickboxer is more than likely going to be Petrosian, and Petrosian is probably going to pick him apart and win a decision. And I think that that's what a lot of people are expecting here. They're expecting Petrosian to be able to keep it at his distance, use the hand and feet feints, use the punches and kick feints, 
Land right hook, lead high kick as he switches to southpaw. Land the jab left hook, right low kick. The one-two down the middle, the cross hook, low kick. The cross hook, high kick, switch stance, straight left, right hook, knee to the body, teep kicks, and be able to stay on the outside and win a point fighting style of fight against Christian Leroy Duncan. I do think that's possible, but I think that Armin Petrosian has had success with that style of game plan against fighters who like to play the same game and kind of stare in the mirror, not really move around too much, use their hands to try to catch the opponent's punches and then come back with shots of their own. Christian Leroy Duncan isn't that guy. Christian Leroy Duncan switches effortlessly between orthodox and southpaw. I mean, he could switch one, two, switch southpaw, move off to that lead or the rear left side, circle off, circle back to orthodox, direct you into a flying knee as he circles. He can one, two, Right hook, spinning back fist, come back with the overhand right. One, two, rear uppercut. One, two, switch southpaw, straight left hand, right hook, knee up the middle, step back to orthodox. One, two, switch southpaw, left or right side kick to the body. He's constantly changing angles, changing stances. He has good ability to pull back, you know, use evasive head movement and come back on counters. I think the footwork and the overall movement of Christian Leroy Duncan, constantly changing stances, constantly changing his angles, setting up with fakes and feints. Yes, he can get himself caught by Petrosian. Petrosian is going to be probably the more technical fighter, like by the book, sharper, you know, completely technical, you know, step-by-step. Step. That's probably going to be Petrosian, and Petrosian more than likely would win a decision, but I don't think he makes it the distance with CLD. I don't think he makes it to decision against Leroy Duncan. He's fast. He's unpredictable. He can use his wrestling, and we've seen Armin Petrosian have issues with his takedowns and wrestling, even though against AJ Dobson, he was able to work his way back up to the feet, even when he did get taken down, use the wizard, use the shrimp crawl, um, use, you know, get his hips out with the wizard, work his way back up to the over-unders and get off the cage. I think we could see Leroy Duncan use some wrestling to kind of offset Petrosian because we've seen him have issues with that in the past, but I think the footwork, the movement, and the stance changes is going to make Petrosian a little bit hesitant because he's not going to have that opponent that's going to stand in front of him and just go kick for kick or punch for punch. And when it comes to knockout power, I know Petrosian has power in his own right and with the hands low style of Leroy Duncan with the head movement heavy style, he could get caught and get hit with a big shot and dropped. But Leroy Duncan, he's got such a bigger advantage when it comes to power in this fight that I think he's eventually just going to catch Petrosian on the chin off that stance switch, off the angle change. It might be a flying knee. He might land a sidekick, switch stance, straight right hand, left hook, switch southpaw, straight left, right hook, up elbow, orthodox, right hand, left hook, right high kick. And I think eventually he's just going to catch Armin Petrosian with a big shot and put him out. I think that the footwork range management, the, the stance changes, and the overall variety of Christian Leroy Duncan and the unpredictability with his footwork and movement, I think that's going to give Petrosian a lot of trouble, who likes to have, or who does have success with his kickboxing, which is world-class, but usually against fighters who are more stationary, and that's not what Christian Leroy Duncan is. So give me CLD by KO against Armin Petrosian. I think he's going to catch him with a big right hand right down the middle and then land a barrage of punches to drop Armin Petrosian and get him out of there. So give me Christian Leroy Duncan to defeat Armin Petrosian via second round TKO. I think CLD rolls here. It's a very, very good striking matchup. Probably one of the best striking fights on the entire card. But I'm going to go with Christian Leroy Duncan to improve to 9-0 in his professional mixed martial arts record and knock out Armin Petrosian via second round TKO. When it comes to the odds in this fight... Christian Leroy Duncan, I think, is minus 140 as a favorite. I'm going to pull that up real quick. 
Um, yeah, minus 145, plus 125 on the underdog for Petrosian. I like just the money line for Duncan. I think minus 145 is a very, very good shot, as a very good shot of hitting. Um, if you want to play the knockout prop, you can get Leroy Duncan by knockout at plus 175. But at that point, I think you just play him on the money line. If you want plus money, then go ahead. But I could see this go into decision. But I do think the power is going to be the difference with Leroy Duncan against Petrosian. So I like uh, Christian Leroy Duncan on the money line at minus 145. And like I said, you could play the KO prop, but I could see it being a point fighting type of style where Leroy Duncan is just more active and lands the bigger shots and wins a decision, potentially resorting to his grappling as well because we've seen Petrosian struggle with that in the past. But give me CLD, Christian Leroy Duncan, to defeat Armin Petrosian via second round TKO. All right, up next is going to be the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division between the number eight ranked Armin Sarukian going up against Joaquim Silva. I mean, Armin Sarukian's a minus 1,100 favorite in this fight. Do I think he should be that high? No, but I I mean, I think like minus 6, minus 700. Um, I think this is definitely a no bet unless you think that there's a chance that, you know, Petrosian, or not Petrosian, that Joaquim Silva can catch Armin Sarukian with a big shot early and knock him out. Like maybe you think that that's the case, but at the end of the day, I think that this is just an Armin Sarukian fight all the way. And I picked Mateus Gamrot to defeat Sarukian by decision in that fight. And a lot of people called me crazy. And he won that fight via decision, did Mateus Gamrot. I think Armin's very good. Um, I think he's on a completely different level from Joaquim Silva. And I think when breaking down this fight, I mean, this is kind of a dogger pass spot. Like if you think Joaquim Silva can catch Armin with a big shot because he's heavily underestimating him, then go ahead and take the shot. But at the end of the day, I think Armin's going to walk him down, land a big shot, a big combination on uh, Joaquim Silva in the first round, drop him, and get him out of there. Um, I'm going to go with Armin Sarukian to defeat Joaquim Silva via first-round knockout. I think that, like like I said, it's kind of a no-bet situation unless you think there's a chance that you know Magic can strike on this night and Joaquim Silva can catch Sarukian with a big shot and hurt him because he's underestimating him, then go ahead. But... At the end of the day, it's a no bet, and it's going to be a first-round TKO pick for me with Armin Sarukian. First-round TKO over Joaquim Silva. He's just a much better fighter. But again, you never know. This is MMA. All right, and now we're at the main event of the evening in the UFC's middleweight division, a five-rounder between fighters who are used to main eventing in the Apex or main eventing fight night cards. In the number three-ranked Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori versus the number four-ranked Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer. Um, this is an interesting fight, but I mean, I'm not too excited for it. I think if this was a three rounder on like a main card of a pay-per-view or a three rounder to headline a, a prelim that it might have more eyes on it and more excitement. But we usually see Cannoneer main event in the apex or on fight nights. We usually see Vittori main events like Vittori against Costa, Cannoneer against Gastelum, Cannoneer against Sean Strickland, Vittori against, I think Vittori, no Vittori didn't fight Strickland, did he? Vittori fought um, Roman Delidze. That was a three-rounder. He fought um, Paulo Costa in a five-round fight night main event. He fought Robert Whitaker in a three-rounder at UFC Paris. Cannoneer fought Whitaker in a three-rounder on a pay-per-view fight card. Um, I think that this is a fight where you kind of expect, you know, you know what you're going to get. Marvin Vittori, heavy volume, uh, a lot of activity moving forward, kind of gets hit a lot, but at the same time, it's, it's a lot of straight left hands. From Vittori, he likes to double it, triple it up, 
kind of just come in with singular shots at sometimes going with a one, two, landing the straight left down the middle against an orthodox fighter in Cannoneer. He's going to be looking to land the right hook to the straight left hand down the middle. The one, two, two, pull, two, two, pull, two, one, two down the middle. Um, he will throw kicks every once in a while, but I think the bigger kicker in the fight is going to be Cannoneer. I think Cannoneer is going to be looking to use that lateral movement, use, you know, the left and right movement, kind of get off the center line and try to get Vittori to walk into a big right hook or left hook like he caught Kelvin Gastelum with. The big power advantage in this fight is Cannoneer, but we've seen the durability of Marvin Vittori throughout his UFC career. You know, he's a very durable guy. I mean, his head's pretty much made out of steel. He can get hit with a head kick from Paulo Costa multiple times and not go down and come back with three, four, five, six punches. I mean, if this fight goes to a decision, I think Marvin Vittori wins this all day. Um, I think that Cannoneer can technically win a decision. He did defeat Sean Strickland via decision in a fight where I think a lot of people thought Strickland won, but Cannoneer landed the bigger shots. And Cannoneer's a technical guy. He sets up his punches with that lateral movement, the left and right movement to cut off the opponent, get that outside foot, and try to land the overhand right, try to land the one-twos, try to land the left and right hooks from uh, lead side in the orthodox stance or right rear side in the southpaw or right rear side in orthodox or right lead side if he switches to southpaw you know and he can catch opponents and hurt him like he did when he dropped kelvin gastelum um i think this is close i would give power advantage to cannoneer overall bigger moments throughout the fight to cannoneer but volume round winning you know wrestling i think that all goes to marvin vittori and i think vittori's so durable that yes he could get caught with a big shot and potentially dropped by Cannoneer, which could swing rounds in his favor. But at the end of the day, I think Vittori's going to outpoint Cannoneer. Um, he will get caught with some big shots, but I think he'll be able to eat them, rack up the volume, rack up the significant strikes, rack up the overall total strikes, potentially use some wrestling. Um, I think if the wrestling happens, it's more from the side of Vittori if he gets hurt by Cannoneer with a big shot. Um, but we have seen Vittori kind of go one and three in his last four, I believe, um, or something like that, or you know, really close fights. But he gets, he gets outclassed by Robert Whitaker, but Cannoneer got outclassed by Whitaker as well. Even though I think Cannoneer, did Cannoneer hurt Whitaker at a certain point? I think he might've caught him with a big shot at one point and wobbled him. Um, if you think there's a knockout, then you go with Jared Cannoneer. If you think it's a decision, then you go with Marvin Vittori. Cause I just don't see Cannoneer doing enough. Even if he has big moments where he hurts Vittori, I don't think he has enough big moments to win the round based on the volume striking, um, the straight left hands of Vittori, the, the constant wrestling pressure, you know, three, four, five punch combinations. I just see Vittori cruising his way to a decision in this fight. And I think that's what a lot of people are going to pick here. Um, I'm going to go with Marvin, the Italian dream Vittori to defeat Jared, the killer gorilla cannoneer via 48, 47 unanimous decision. I think it will be close. I think cannoneer will have his moments. Uh, you have Marvin Vittori at minus 165 on the money line, plus 140 underdog for Jared Cannoneer. I think the only bet in this fight is over four and a half rounds or fight goes to decision, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be juiced. I mean, I'll check on the DraftKings right now. For this fight to go over four and a half rounds, it's minus 180. That's actually not too bad. I think it does go to decision. So I think the best bet is over four and a half rounds at minus 180 or fight to go to decision, which is currently sitting at a minus 165. So I would just play over four and a half. Um, and yeah, I think it goes to decision, but I think Vittori does more. He lands more volume, lands more strikes, and wins the rounds convincingly, um, even with Cannoneer having his moments where he will crack Vittori on the chin a couple times. But Vittori will be able to survive it and land the volume striking, use the wrestling, push Cannoneer up against the cage in the clinch, and hurt him. If Vittori was a guy who was chinny, I would go with Cannoneer, but he's 
the furthest from that. So I got to go with the Italian dream Marvin Vittori. So give me the number three ranked Marvin Vittori to defeat the number four ranked Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer via 48-47 unanimous decision. But it's a no bet for me. And if you have to bet it, then I would just say over four and a half rounds is the best bet. The over is the best way to play the fight. But that's going to be it for my UFC Vegas 75 preview predictions and breakdown UFC fight night. Vittori versus Cannoneer takes place this Saturday, June 17th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many, many more. Leave a review for the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts. You know, get our numbers up, get our reviews up. I feel like the audio podcast does terrible in terms of numbers, and I'm just being transparent here. But my YouTube channel and my picks, predictions, and videos do very well. So if you're following the YouTube channel, which is the same name as the podcast at the top, Touch Em Up podcast, then do me a favor and send out the audio podcast to everybody who likes the YouTube channel as well, because I have audio versions of almost every video I have that's based on fight predictions on my podcast. So send out the audio podcast and let's get it rolling. You can donate to the podcast via PayPal, and the PayPal is linked in the same uh, description as my YouTube channel. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Enjoy the fights this weekend.